How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Movies and Beyond podcast. My name is Brian Osborne. I am your host, and we are back and better than ever, ready for another exciting episode. Here today, we have so much movie news to get into for the future as we are continuing our journey through 2020. We are already into early February. Hard to believe. And again, we've got a lot of movie news, a lot of awards news, and a lot of uh, ideas for future endeavors coming out in the last couple of weeks. And of course, we're going to go over the box office, and I've got a new review for you for a movie that set some records this past weekend. Uh, diving into it, most of you in the United States know, I guess in non-movie-related news, it was the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Congrats to the Chiefs pulling out the win. Got to be honest, I did not watch the game. Um, I have not watched the Super Bowl in the last, I don't know, probably five years. It's been a while. I know uh, the last time I watched the Super Bowl was when, it was one where the Patriots won, which I know is it's pretty easy to come up with one that's they've been in it. It's kind of refreshing to see uh, the Patriots not be involved in. They still went to the playoffs, but they weren't in the Super Bowl. It's kind of refreshing there. Uh, but I'm not a total Patriot hater. Uh, but anyway, I, but I shouldn't even say that. My main point is I've uh, drifted away from the sport of professional football here in here in America. It's just kind of alienated me. Not you know, uh, I used to really love it. Uh, I just don't anymore. If I do watch football at all, I usually watch college and. Um, be just because the it seems to me not to get into it there's a whole I have a whole set of system of problems with the NFL but I don't want to get into them on this show but I will I, I prefer the short answer to liking or preferring college football is just because the players there they're actually putting it all on the line they're playing for something that's not a big money contract not um not just trying, not that the pros aren't playing, putting their hearts into it and really trying for the Super Bowl. That's a big achievement. Uh, but to me, just the overall game uh, is just more, I just find it more uh, more interesting to watch even college or even, even high school. When I get a chance to watch high school football, I can really get into that too. It just uh, just seems like they're playing, they're, the game means more uh, the lower the level levels that you go. Um, Again, nothing against those of you that like the NFL. It's a fine league, and I used, like I said, I used to be a fan. Uh, I could probably easily get back into it if I really did, but there's just uh, I've just learned so much about uh, certain parts of the game that uh, have just drawn me out of it. Plus, it's just become um, well, we could talk all day about it. But short answer: I did not watch the Super Bowl. Hope it looked like it was a very good game, very entertaining, and that's good. I'm glad that, and it sounds like most of the commercials are pretty entertaining, and it's a halftime show, a little controversial among some of the people, but that's usually uh, almost always the case uh, to some degree. But anyway, what we're all here for, we're going to talk some movies. So, um, Disney, this uh, this week, they reported some very strong streaming numbers. This is out of Variety. This is where I got it, and a number of other publications. It says, Disney delivers impressive streaming numbers, tops Wall Street expectations with earnings. And it's off to a very strong start with their direct-to-consumer businesses. Disney Plus delivered an impressive 26.5 million subscribers when it started on November 12th through the end of the year. Um, and this is from the article. It says, quote, The mouse's earnings per share and revenue numbers for its uh, first quarter, which ended December 28th, met or topped analyst consensus opinions indicating that the company is onto a strong footing even as it pours billions of dollars to support the growing suite of streaming platforms um this and then there was a quote from bob Iger says quote we had a strong first quarter highlighted by the launch of disney plus which has exceeded even our greatest expectations Iger said thanks to our incredible collection of brands 
outstanding content from our creative en engines and state-of-the-art technology. We believe direct-to-consumer services, including Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, and Hulu, position us well for continued growth in today's dynamic media environment. Revenue was up 36% year-over-year period, a gain that reflects Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox at late March, and it um, goes on from there. It says Hulu and ESPN Plus expanded to $693 million from $136 million in a year in the last year's quarter. So long story short, huge numbers for Disney. What's new, right? They uh, continue their quest for world domination, and they are doing it well. Disney Plus, uh, huge numbers just in its three months of release. I think, uh, I forget what other service they said this was already... It's already gotten half of the numbers or something. Maybe it was Hulu. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't see why anybody. I don't see how this surprises anybody. Disney Plus. Disney's just a, a household brand. It's just got such a huge, vast library that intrigues everyone. The beside from its archived content from decades and decades to owning the rights to the Star Wars films to. Marvel, I mean, those are two huge, huge properties and huge libraries that they get access to. Of course, people are going to subscribe to it. Plus, to add people that are on the fence, they heard probably heard how good The Mandalorian was, and they got their, their money from from, uh, from that. Anyway, and um, it just, yeah, not. I don't see why any, how this is any surprising. Disney, I always, you know, figured Disney Plus, unless it was just a huge, you know, mechanical disaster or technological disaster, it was going to do fine, and it seems to be doing just fine. And good for uh, good for Disney. They're uh, they're really hurting. <laughs> no, they'll they'll continue on now. Uh, I mean, I know the conversation now. This was again. Th these numbers are from the fourth quarter of 2019. So who knows what the actual subscriber count is right now? I know a lot of people online have have made the argument that they need to do something. It's almost like a huge impatient argument like they got to get something new out they got to get something new out they're running out of time they're running out of time mandalorian's over they don't have anything to keep people on there they got to find something new they got to find something new and i just say chill out will you i mean they're they've got new stuff coming those of you that did watch the super bowl you saw all the new trailers they have uh their new film their films are going to continue to hit disney plus every time they come out um they are like frozen 2 and um um, what else is there? Spies in Disguise that they own was under the Fox banner. That's going to be on there, I'm sure. Um, that, so they're always going to have new content coming on to Disney+, Plus, but also they've got the new shows. They've got the Loki show in development. They've got WandaVision coming out, I think, in the fall. And they've just got so much stuff down the line. I just say patience is the key. Patience. Disney will be fine. Disney Plus will be fine. I'd rather they take their time and get everything right than just you got to rush to get something out there because you're 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 stagnant. You don't have anything new. Mandalorian's over. You got to get something new. It's like it's okay to just relax. Okay, just relax. There's always time to get some get new stuff out there. Speaking of new stuff, also in the Disney family and the specifically specifically the Lucasfilm family, President Kathleen Kennedy confirms Indiana Jones five, and that it is a continuation, not a reboot. This article is by Allie Gemmel at Collider. It says, it's been a minute since we've seen Indiana Jones 5 update. Luckily, Lucas film head Kathleen Kennedy was on hand Saturday night during the 2020 BAFTAs to give us an update on the progress of the forthcoming installment in the action-adventure franchise. 
Speaking with the BBC at the red carpet, Kennedy said some important news about Indiana Jones 5. She's, when asked about the progress on the mo movie, she said this, quote, we're working away, getting the script where we want it to be, and then it'll be ready to go. And went on to confirm Harrison Ford will be involved. Yeah, it's not a reboot. It's a continuation, end quote. Production, back to the article, production on Indiana Jones 5 have been slow, steady, but ultimately tangled up by a variety of delays over the years. While rumors of the fifth film had kicked around since the release of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it wasn't until 2015 when Kennedy spoke to Vanity Fair that it became evident that there were real plans to make the movie happen. Howard's been a long and winding road to making this movie happen. Filming start dates and release dates have been pushed back further and further as efforts to ensure the story was cracked, and even Steven Spielberg's schedule was open, uh, was open, uh, was open were made. I don't know what that means. As recently as September 2019, screenwriter David Kep provided insights on where Indiana Jones Five. Think we'll have we have a good idea this. Think we have a good idea this time. We'll see. That said, no hints have been dropped about what the story will be. Working on Indiana stays on pace. You know, it will hopefully meet the summer 2021 premiere date. Keep your fingers crossed. So, yeah. Um, if you made it through that, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Um, I. Pretty much love the entire franchise. I know there's a lot of hate for King Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and uh, rightfully so. Um, my favorite, I probably, I don't know. I, I think, um, honestly, I, a lot of people say, I, I, and I would agree, Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably a perfect movie, a near-perfect movie, if, if, you, if there ever was one, especially for an action-adventure film. And I, it, it is, uh, it never gets old. I watch it a, a ton. And I, again, I, I really am a big fan of the Indiana Jones franchise. I could talk about it for a, a I wish more people would talk about it almost with the uh, reverie or almost the mythologic uh, tone that Star Wars has taken. I could really, um, I, I, you know, just, it's just such an interesting, I guess because I'm a history student of history, history buff, and it's just interesting to see a character like that uh, be put into high-action high, high action situations. But I wish, um, I hope that they make another version, and it's okay if uh, Harrison Ford, um, I know he's, he's, you know he's not getting any younger, and he does look good for his age, I will say that. I don't know if he'll be doing his own stunts. I don't know if I'd recommend that like he did with Crystal Skull, which is crazy. But I hope they get it done. I know I've heard, I heard a quote from Spielberg was in some interview some time ago in the last couple of years, and he did give some insight, and he said that it would take place in the 60s. I don't know what the artifact will be that he's going to be going after or anything like that. I don't think that Shia LaBeouf's going to be involved, which is okay by me. Um, uh, again, I know a lot of you out there probably don't like the Crystal Skull, rightfully so. I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm not saying it, definitely not my favorite. It's definitely the weakest of the entire group. I just didn't come out of it with the entire hate and anger about um, the that a lot of the Indiana Jones fandom had for it. I think it's a nice little adventure film. It's got some script problems. It's got some CGI monkey problems, and it's got a, C, a Shia LaBeouf problem. <laughs> in 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 my opinion, his his uh, his character as the son didn't really work for me. Um, I guess it works, but I just don't want to see him. It works well enough, but I just don't want to see him in that role again. Uh, I hope they re if they were to continue. Um, I hope they they recast the son. Anyway, yeah. So it looks like we might get it in 2021, but I don't know if they don't start filming in the next few months. I would I would highly doubt it. it. But this brings another question up to Kathleen Kennedy and her leadership of Lucasfilm. And whether you love her or hate her, I mean, this was a movie like like I said. They, this is your second. If you're a Lucasfilm, this is your second biggest property behind 
Star Wars. And you've, you know, they got Star Wars up and running. That's, that's great. That was priority number one. And, but then, you know, they've, they've been developing, they're now done with Star Wars. They're done with their chapter of Star Wars. You'd think, I mean, the filming of Rise of Skywalker has been done, you would think since what? middle of last year, summer of 2019 at, at the latest. So you think they've, you've had months and months and not to mention years to be working and refining the script, the so-called script that they're working on, that they have to get right. You'd think they would have had an idea or at least an idea back in 2010 or 2009 after the last movie that, you know, George Lucas may have had an idea that they could have at least looked and maybe tweaked a little bit or something, or even call him up now and be like, Hey George, do you got another idea? Not that I, you know, George Lucas, that was his idea about the law, about the crystal skulls. That was, uh, for those that don't know the story, he was the one that convinced Spielberg. Spielberg didn't really want to do an alien story, but Lucas had this thing. And if you go back and watch the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which I have, and, uh, there's a reason nobody talks about it anymore. Uh, even though the documentaries as part of that DVD set are amazing. I will say that. If you really love history and, and learning some different parts, you really get a good sampling. Um, but we don't need to talk about that today. Um, but it just makes me wonder. It's I don't know. Kathleen Kennedy continues to just show. I just I can't help but question her leadership of Lucasfilm. I just can't. They the cons the I know there's divisiveness. There's always going to be divisiveness, and especially in today's world of of online criticism. But man, when you go out there and when it's 2020 and you announced film plans back in 2015 and now you're in 2020 and you're saying, yep, we're working on it. We're going to get the script. We got to get the script right. It's like, what have you been doing for four years? Has it really taken that long? I mean, it sure didn't take them that long to make the original trilogy of the Indiana Jones films in the 80s. It took them 10 years, 10 years in the span of 10 years. They had made three films. I just don't get it. I don't know. Anyway, we'll... Uh, we'll see. I hope it happens, and I I hope we see it. I, like I said, I love Indiana Jones, and I plan on talking about it more uh, on the show as in the in the future. Another announcement for some new uh, in another franchise, some new development was Transformers. Another in another favorite of mine. I love the Transformers franchise. I'm not I didn't say I love all the Transformers movies though. <laughs> I uh, far from it actually. Uh, Transformer. This is from ComicBook.com, and it and many other outlets, but the story is two new Transformers movies reportedly in development. This was from last week, and this is including a franchise reboot. The Transformers film franchise will continue chugging forward with at least two new films in the immediate future. After Bumblebee was a success among critics, Variety is reporting, so Variety is reporting that Paramount is looking to invigorate the entire franchise, though exact details on either project remain scarce. The report suggests one script will be set in the universe shared by the Haley Seinfeld starring Bumblebee, while another will serve as the reboot to the larger Transformers universe. It's expected the Bumblebee-adjacent proper property will be a smaller-scale, low-budget film to match the tone of its predecessor, while a reboot will have an ensemble cast and be a summer blockbuster spectacle. Again, the details are unclear. So, yeah, this is exciting for, for me. Um... Again, going at real quick view on Transformers, I think it's a great I think they're a great property. They're they can be huge. I hope they continue to add more to it. I was admittedly, I was a fan of the first Michael Bay Transformers. I think it's all right. I think it's good, especially the Transformer part. Again, <laughs> just so happens to star Shia LaBeouf. 
and even in that movie, I didn't mind. I didn't mind his character um, going. It was fine. It's just Michael Bay. Still, when you go, it's hard to go back and watch that movie because the Transformers are so great, but the action is so they he just wallops and Michael Bay just hits you with so much action and action and action and action and action, and it just drains you. It drains the energy out of it, and. Also, nothing against that first movie, but then you remember how much he dra- how much he, you know, Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Dark Side of the Moon and the Age of Extinction and Dark uh, the Last Night. Um, just how many times did he the 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 groan-inducing dialogue, the corny dialogue, the action action scenes that are just huge and explosive and major and then it, it just holy cow i've watched two hours and 45 minutes of nothing but bluster and action there's absolutely no heart there's no soul to these movies and they could be filled with soul i mean they're transformers and it it's another trap that a lot of studios have fallen into with several franchises but one of them is transformers and that's the transformers the coolest part of the movie the movies that were the part of the movie that we're here to watch they get thrown to the side for boring human characters you know boring human characters like sam witwicky and all the and several other people that are involved and and mark Wahlberg's character who who gives a i mean i just couldn't latch on to him after especially shia labeouf was fine in the first movie but then it just continued to go with and they leaned harder into that blockbuster humor that cheesy humor didn't care about the story left the characters paper thin and the Transformers were still awesome, and even some of them got got ruined too. But so yeah, anything after the first one, it was they were very forgettable. I hope to never watch them again. But I will say, Bumblebee was by far the best Transformers movie. That that movie hooked me a couple of years ago when it came out. Hooked me after the first five minutes, the first scene on the Battle of Cybertron. I was like, that's Transformers. Like this just feels right. That's Transformers. This is awesome. I'm in. And it was a good story. And even Haley Steinsfeld's character was fun. And she was the heart of the movie. And it was great. And we cared about her. We cared about her story. And that was great. And it was it was definitely the best Transformers movie made. So I'm excited that they are making a sequel for that. And uh, I'm excited about if this other movie, I'm surprised that it's taken this long to get the wheels rolling because that was 2017, wasn't it? That Bumblebee came out. So I'm really looking forward to this. I, um, um, or maybe it was 2018, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I there was rumors that one of that I, back when Bumblebee came out, there were rumors after it, after it was released that um, Paramount was going to make a Optimus Prime movie, which I would love to see. I would love to see an Optimus Prime movie, but um, but I'll take what we can get if they want to reboot especially if Travis Knight is involved or anybody that has a, because that's the difference. You could tell Travis Knight at least, and I don't, I'm not even hundred percent sure that he was a fan of Transformers, but I think he was because the way that was handled was with such so much more reverence than with what Michael Bay did with him. Um, Again, past that first film, Michael Bay shouldn't have been involved. He always said he was never. He's he, and he's saying it now for sure. He's made his last Transformers movie. Good. We don't need you in the series anymore. Uh, yeah. So anyway, two new Transformers movies. So maybe you guys like it. Maybe you don't. But they're they're coming. So I'm excited about that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So back to Marvel real quick. We'll look at our look at the review of the slate coming out on Disney Plus. These are some of the are the new shows. 
And one of them is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I failed to mention that earlier. That is going to be premiering late 2020, so that's later this year, actually. That's the one starring Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan. And what we know, the series is expected to take place after the events of Avengers Endgame. So that'll be kind of a continuation of what we saw there, for especially with uh, the Falcon getting Captain America's shield. The next one is WandaVision. WandaVision starring Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany. That one's going to premiere in fall of 2020. So that'll be interesting. That's a Disney Plus, another Disney Plus series. And then the other one, Loki, the other Loki television show, again, Disney Plus premiere. That is set to premiere early 2021. And then the show that I'm most interested in, I, I could take or leave any of these shows. Not that they won't be good, I'm sure. It's just, honestly, it's just a little, and I know this is what everybody wants, and this is great. The mar- you know, market, this is, this is great. The market, the consumer is winning here. We're going to get shows that some of you, some of us never thought possible, a network where Disney Plus was going to give us multiple shows in the based in the Marvel television Marvel universe, we're gonna get so many di- several shows, and this is so this is so awesome. But I will say for me, it's a bit overkill, and I'm and also I'm just not a not much of a TV person. I don't watch that many TV shows. I do watch some, but I just I'm not saying I'm gonna I'm not I'm just all I'm saying is I'm not committing myself to watching every single episode of all these shows. It's just um, it's it's too much product, too much to choose from, and I have to be very and time is precious too. And I don't. I just don't like thinking of myself being a vegetable and and being and watching um, show after show after show. There's so much to watch. And granted, I'm going to watch some just like the rest of you, uh, but I'm just not going to commit to watching these. But I think it's great that everybody has the option, and it's going to be a great addition to the Disney library. So you have um, again uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision. Then you're going to have Loki. Uh, I love how this is also separating. It's letting people choose like. If they really like a certain set of character or character or characters, they're going to be able to join them on their own adventures. This is pretty cool. So that's going to, the the Loki series now stars Tom Hiddleston, of course, as Loki, and Owen Wilson just joined the cast. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. That was news. Uh, but the show that I'm most, most interested in seeing on Disney Plus from the Marvel Studio side is What If. This is going to be an animated show, and it's going to have the voices of, all of the regular, all of the regular actors have already agreed that they're gonna, or they're, I guess, contract obligated to come in and voice their characters. So people like Robert, so Robert Downey Jr. is gonna voice Tony Stark, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, Sebastian Stan, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Samuel L. Jackson, Chris Hemsworth, Chris, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas. All these people, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Natalie Portman. Uh, all these people are contracted. And looks like wow, they're gonna—they're ha- actually gonna have 23 episodes. And those of you that don't know the show, this is where they're gonna take a concept, and the show's gonna be what if this that we know this didn't happen in the events of the MCU, going after Thanos. Like, what if this event didn't happen? What would happen if if that didn't that thing didn't happen? And given us, and they were they're gonna give us an alternative view of events or alternative turn of turn of events. And I want to say it's going to be told from the point of view of the Watchers, which those of you that are familiar with the Watchers in comics, they're these kind of like these overseers that watch the world and the universe. And I don't know, it's it's really it's really cool. I'm stoked. I think this is the one that I, I can I can definitely say I'm going to be watching every almost every episode of What If. I hope it's good. 
and again, I'm I'm hoping it's it's going to be great. So, uh, so that's a real quick treat there for what uh, what we got coming. For now, let's move on. Shift gears into award season. They had the BAFTAs the other night. That's the British Film Academy Film Awards. And speaking of Kathleen Kennedy, we've talked about her today. She received the BAFTA Fellowship, which is their one of their highest their highest honors. It was given out by the uh, Prince uh, Prince. Um, Oh, Prince Edward, is that his name? Hopefully, um, the uh, or the Duke of Cambridge, I should say. I'm not, I uh, hate to say I'm not up to date on my um, British British uh, royal family. Um, man, is, I, I keep thinking Edward. I know it's not. That doesn't sound right. Um, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Yeah, the um, Prince William, I think. Prince William, yes. Prince William, jeez. Prince William was there. He presented the award to Kathleen Kennedy. And then there was also an Outstanding British Contribution to Cinema Award to given out by Ian McKellen to Andy Serkis for his role as Gollum and uh, being at the forefront of the motion capture part of filmmaking. So that was really cool. You can check out their speeches online at the BAFTA YouTube channel. But yeah, taking away the big awards of the night. Best film going to 1917. Sam Mendes wins Best Director for 1917. Joaquin Phoenix, Best uh, Actor in a Leading Role for Joker. Renee Zellweger for Judy. Best Actor in a Supporting Role went to Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Best Actress in a Supporting Role went to Laura Dern for Marriage Story. And that's all pretty much the same. It's uh, it's amazing how so many people, and I've gotten caught up in this too, talking about how 2019 was such a great year for movies, and, and it really was. There's so many great films and great performances here that um, you wish could be could be, notori- could be noticed. But you think, I guess, it's interesting because we think that because it was such a good year, or some that, that, that I've heard or read have theorized this, because it was such a good year that we're going to have a, a surprise or it's going to be any every award's going to be up for grabs because each group could go different. But here we are, 2019. We've got so many great films to choose from here, great performances, and yet everybody there's just a certain certain people are winning every single award. You know, Joaquin Phoenix is winning every single every acting award. Renee Zellweger is winning every acting award. Brad Pitt is winning every supporting actor. Laura Dern is winning every supporting actor. So for being such a great year. You know, it, it gives the impression that, oh, my, wow, no one no one's going to be able to predict who's going to win the awards because it's going to be totally up for grabs. Well, it's proven to be just like every other year, which is usually only five people win every single, every award that they're nominated for. Is there a chance for a surprise? Yes. I still remember 20, 2015, I think, or 2016, where Sylvester Stallone had been the front runner for supporting actor award and the and then they and they get to the academy awards and they give it to mark rylance for bridge of spies i mean that was just a travesty nothing against mark rylance thought his performance was great but that really i just i thought the momentum and the heart was with uh was with stallone and they uh, the academy snubbed him and shame on them in my opinion other takeaways from the baftas best original screenplay went to bong joon ho for parasite that was kind of surprising um, if you look at, I thought they were going to give it to Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. I thought that was probably, uh, or Quentin Tarantino. That was actually, actually, yeah, what am I saying? Tarantino is probably the biggest surprise. He didn't take it. Uh, but also Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. And then, of course, uh, Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story. Uh, but Parasite getting a lot of late 
late uh, in the year buzz. It's taken out a lot of uh, surprise categories. It may it may take out um, uh, best original screenplay in the Oscars. That would be uh, that would be interesting. Best adapted screenplay went to Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit, and I believe both of those, both Parasite and Jojo Rabbit, won the screen actor or screen uh, writers writers guild awards that were held over the weekend on uh, on saturday let me uh pull those up here <clears throat> the i definitely jojo rabbit won for adapted and the original was yeah it was parasite bong jun ho and um and han jin wan uh won for the original screenplay so Back-to-back wins, both Saturday for the Writers Guild of America and Sunday for the BAFTAs. Not a bad, bad weekend. But yeah, 1917, though, seems to be the front-runner for Best Picture. Um, again, Academy Awards are, are uh, won't be decided until the night of, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it's the narrative's kind of changed. At first, uh, back in the fall, people were really hyping on The Irishman, and then it got to be uh, December. People then all of a sudden... We kept hearing, or at least, I, you know, we kept hearing once upon a time as Hollywood was going to be getting this resurgence and everybody thought because it was such, as a love letter to Hollywood, Hollywood's going to give all this praise on this movie because Hollywood loves to congratulate itself and celebrate itself. Well, now, ever since January 1st and the Golden Globes, it's been all about 1917. And now that 1917's out in, in the world, it's making money and... Uh, people are going to see it. It's and it and it's such a such a technical masterpiece or, or a marvel to to watch. Uh, it's getting a lot of a lot of attention, and now that's now it seems to be the front runner. It won the Producers Guild. It's won, um, it's won the um, now the BAFTAs, and now going into the Academy. And also, Sam Mendes won the Directors Guild Award, which is pretty much a a a lock for the Academy Award for Best Director. I mean, I, I've looked at the history. It's it's only happened. I mean, geez, you could probably count it on t- uh, over seventy or sixty or seventy years that the DGA has been around. You can probably count on two hands the amount of times that a director has won that award and not won the Academy Award, and maybe even one hand. It's uh, it's it's crazy how much it, it's it's uh, right on. So he's definitely the front runner for best director. I don't see how anyone takes it from him. And then best best picture is the one that maybe. I mean, you just never know. Um, there's movies, uh, Spotlight, I think, was one that didn't win the PGA, and it, it won Best Picture. Um, that was a few years ago, but we'll, so we'll see. Anything can happen. And also Moonlight, uh, everybody thought it was going to be La La Land, and it turned out to be Moonlight. We'll never forget that one. Um, so we'll see. Um, speaking of Oscars, this is uh, always a fun thing for me. I guess it's kind of, kind of interesting, but um, The Hollywood Reporter always brings out some of these honest brutally honest Oscar ballots and I've they have one here and I'm going to read it to you just because I, I always get a kick out of reading some of these um, again the author is anonymous it's just a member a random member of the academy so it could be someone who's retired could be an actor could be a casting director could be uh, could be anyone um, actually okay the article does start here for THR it says a female member of the academy's actors branch so she was allowed to speak freely. This is her take, this person's take on some of the awards. So for best picture, this person says, quote, Little Women was badly acted and confusing, and I have no idea why they cast four British actresses to play American girls. Emma Watson and Florence Pugh are British, but Saoirse Ronan is Irish-American, and Eliza Scanlon is Australian. 
and every time they said they were poor, I gagged. <laughs> They're living in a beautiful two-story house, and they have a cook. I did not see Little Women, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. can't really judge it, but that's her take. Jojo Rabbit was cute, but I found myself unable to laugh about Hitler. I don't think that's funny. <laughs> Which, if you... I saw it. Jojo Rabbit actually is one of the best movies of the year. I, I'm thinking about it a lot ever since I've seen it. At first, I didn't, I didn't come out with this overglowing love, but I have to say it stayed with me uh, over the months. This was back in October, and it's, it's still... Uh, I thought it was actually... Looking back, it was actually really, really good. Uh, back to the article, it says, Marriage Story was, a pho- was phony. You don't have an off-Broadway director and an off-Broadway actress living in a nice house with no day job. If an, if an off-Broadway actor makes 150 a week, that's a lot. If someone besides Martin Scorsese had directed The Irishman, it wouldn't have all the accolades. It does because of his years in the business. It was too long and too repetitive, and the reverse aging did not work. They erased the lines in their faces, but they still walked like old men. Francis Ford Coppola got it right in The Godfather when he had different actors play the characters when they were young and when they were old. Besides, I didn't care about any of the people in the movie. I really liked Ford v. Ferrari. Okay, so real quick. Um, the Irishman, yeah. The Irishman is a great, I, I would argue, is a great film. It's not one of, you know, it's not the best film that Scorsese's done in the last few years, but it is really good. I, I found it to be, um, it, is it too long? Yeah, you could you could argue that. I found it still compelling, uh, at least for the first time through. I, I will say I'm hesitant to go back and re-watch it uh, because of the length and because it the story wasn't as gripping, but I will say it was different enough from his past. You think, oh, it's just another Scorsese mob movie, but it's, it's at least from the ones I've seen, in which I confess I haven't seen every one of his movies, but from Goodfellas and Casino, which you think, oh, those are pretty similar. Um, the Irishman, it takes a different, it's the same world, same crime mob world, but it, it takes kind of a different view where those movies are a little more about the violent nature and the control where this is a little more about being just being a person in that mob. But I will agree with the actress about the uh, the de-aging. It worked one later on in the movie it worked, but the first few scenes, first act, it was pretty uh, pretty rough. And um, and yeah. Uh, back to the article it says Marriage Story, or excuse me, <clears throat> I enjoy, I really liked Ford v. Ferrari. I loved the two actors and the moral of the story, and I wish they had promoted it more. It's worthy of more attention than it has gotten. Parasite is beautifully done, but it didn't hold up the second time, and I don't think foreign films should be nominated with regular films. I liked Joker. Um, Parasite, I don't know. That's 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 an argument. I don't really know. I don't really have a necessarily stance. I guess um, I guess you could. I, I see where she's coming from um, because. If you're going to be an international film, the inter- for an inter- an international film should really just be in the international film race. I don't know if it needs to be in Best Picture because that's otherwise. What's the point of having an international film category if you're just going to nominate it both for that and for the best overall picture? So I see where she's coming from there, but again, is it does it really matter? Not not really. Um, yeah, back to the article it says. I like Joker more than I thought I would. I put off seeing it for a long time, but it was actually a beautifully done film and more and about mental illness. And I thought about it for a long time afterward, which is always a good sign. Uh, pretty much agree. Yeah, very, very good film for Joker. Stay, it stays with you, and, may, and it definitely leaves an impression. And yeah, best film, one of the best films of the year. 
It goes on. I love 1917, but Quentin Tarantino's film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was even better the second time than the first. I was in L.A. in the 60s, and I thought he captured that era perfectly. 1917 was very good, but pretty straight-on story about the horrors of war. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was more complicated and stayed with me longer. My vote, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, Joker, Parasite, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Mary's Story, Jojo Rabbit, and Little Women. So, <clears throat> I get what she's saying. Some hard takes there. Um... I would, I would agree. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just the best movie. I will admit the third act is, I could definitely see where people check out. It's it's pretty, um, it's kind of a mess, but I still walked out with a better experience. And I do, and I have rewatched a couple of times uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it was great. I did go back and see 1917 on IMAX the other day, and it was a little, little more... Um, it wasn't as interesting the second time around, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does uh, does keep it going. It is uh, it's my my vote for Best Picture anyway. Um, so the 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 actress then says for Best Director, I can't vote for Marty. Uh, for the Scorsese, nobody wants to say it, but it's just not that good. Todd Phillips did an incredible job on Joker, as did Bong Joon-ho on Parasite, but not the best. I like 1917 and Sam Mendes' direction, but I thought Quentin did a great job, and I want an American director to win. <laughs> the Oscars is an American thing. English things win BAFTAs, and French vote for the French. And Quentin Tarantino should be honored for a great American movie. Well, very patriotic uh, view there, and I uh, I would be happy if Quentin Tarantino won Best Director. But I would also be happy if Sam Mendes won, too. Best Actor, it says, quote, I wasn't particularly impressed by Adam Driver once, or Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio has won already. I loved Jonathan Price, but I don't know if I want to give it to the Pope. <laughs> so for me, it was between Antonio Banderas and Joaquin Phoenix. I had to go with Joaquin because that is a performance that sticks in your mind. Antonio was much more subtle and poignant. Joaquin hit it out of the park. Well, that's a pretty hard take. That's that really gives you an insight on the mindset of an Academy voter. These are, remember these are flawed human beings that are voting with their personal, uh, personal uh, stuff getting in the way. Like the, the line, Leo's Leo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio has already has won already. Um, so that just tells you sometimes it, this this just goes to show the the Oscars are not a pillar, a total fair and impartial mark of achievement. That means this whatever this person or this movie was the best. It really takes time to decide what was the best movie of the year. We're not going to know what the best movie of 2019 was until probably 2029 or, or at least 2025. Or 2024. So we'll see. But this interesting take there. But uh, yeah, Joaquin's probably going to win. And rightfully so. It's a great performance. Best Actress. This person says, Saoirse Ronan is wonderful. And I've liked her in so many things. But not Little Women. I can't vote for Marriage Story's Scarlett Johansson for a story, for a story that I thought was not truthful. I won't vote for Cynthia Revo because I think that they should have gotten an American actress to play Harriet Harriet, not an English actress. Man, this person really has a thing against British people. <laughs> uh, Charlize Theron did a great job, a great, uh, good imitation of Megyn Kelly, but I did find the real Megyn irritating, so I found her irritating too. Renee was just wonderful in the movie. Her singing and everything, she's just great. So she's voting for Renee Zellweger. Very, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's fine. Uh, I did not see Judy. It was a very limited release. I did not get a get a chance to get out and see it, but uh, a lot of people are talking about it, though. Best Supporting Actor. This person says, I love Al Pacino, but he wasn't Jimmy Hoffa. 
He was himself. The real Jimmy Hoffa was a guy you were scared of because he kept it all inside of him. He never exploit, ex- exploded like Al did. Marty should have curtailed him. Joe Pesci was good, but I don't think he did anything he hasn't done before, just less of it. Tom Hanks is very good at imitating Mr. Rogers, but if you look in his eyes when he talks to the lead guy, his eyes are not soft and loving. His eyes are calculating and judging. Mr. Rogers' eyes were warm. I really noticed that. That leaves me with Anthony Hopkins, who was absolutely brilliant, and Brad Pitt. I'm going for Brad because he hasn't won before, because I totally believed that he was the stunt guy, and because of the scene at the ranch where he has such a presence that creates fear. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff to digest there. I, I would argue Joe Pesci was actually really good for a guy that's been semi-retired for almost 20 years. It's... Um, yeah, I thought he was really good, and I thought it was it was more uh, kind of a subdued performance, and I think that's something we're we're not used to. He he didn't do the Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is known for screaming and yelling and saying the f word every other t- every other word. I mean that that's not who he plays here. And um, so Tom Hanks, I thought that was a beautiful performance in in that one. I didn't I didn't notice that in his eyes. I thought he I thought he did a great job. I'd be I would be fine if either one of those. Uh, Pacino, I thought was really good as Hoffa. The, I mean, I don't know how accurate it was to the real Hoffa, but uh, I thought it was it was believable enough in in that world. Um, did not see the two popes, but Anthony Hopkins is a legend, and Brad Pitt was awesome. I, I really don't care who wins. I, I think they all deserve it. They're all great people. But again, there's that line again. I'm going for Brad because he hasn't won before. It just, uh, you know, it continues. All right. I know we're running short on time. I'm probably, uh, running long here, but, uh, best supporting actress, this person, uh, the, the actress, um, in the Hollywood reporter says this, I was irritated by Florence Pugh. She is so much older than her character is supposed to be that it was laughable. You're like 30 years old. Pugh is actually 24. Why aren't you a grown up? Laura Dern was annoyingly over the top. If I was her client in a divorce case, I would have walked out five minutes into her rant and hired Ray Liotta. <laughs> I usually love Margot Robbie, but I didn't really like her in Bombshell. It was just a caricature. She was better in Quentin's movie. Kathy Bates is always good, but she didn't really do anything that memorable. So I voted for Scarlett Johansson, even though I didn't like Jojo Rabbit very much, because she did something kind of different than I've ever seen before. My vote, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit. So, um, yeah, again, didn't see Little Women, but I will say Florence Pugh, I mean, I saw her in seeing her in Fighting With My Family and Midsummer. Um, she's going to be one to keep your eye on for for a while. I mean, she's definitely one of the most gifted actresses working today. I, I really enjoy her work. Um, and um, so far, I mean, that, that'll be interesting. I, but I didn't see Little Women. I will agree with Laura Dern, even though she's probably going to win. I did not really care for her character her, or her performance. For one, she's not really in the movie that much. And not to say that that doesn't deserve recognition, but I didn't really, again, she just, that's, this person does put it pretty good. She felt just over the top and she did it well, but it was again, over the top. I I did the lawyers that were the best were actually out of all the lawyers. It went, uh, I would say Alan Alda, then Ray Liotta and then Laura Dern. Um, but, uh, but she was, but she was fine. And again, she's going to win, but yeah, I, I would agree though. I would vote for Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit. Um, that was something that it was a good reminder to show because we've seen her so much in as black widow. And, um, it just reminded us, especially after seeing her in Endgame, that we see her in this, in a movie like Jojo rabbit and it shows that she does have an acting muscle and she can really transform into different people. And with, um, 
especially in that that movie. So I yeah I I would agree. I'd be great. It'd be great if Scarlet could win, but we'll see. Best adapted screenplay. Uh, this person says Little Women was back and forth. Uh, you didn't know what was going on. I didn't like the theme of Jojo Rabbit. And the Irishman was boring. I actually went for the two popes over Joker. I don't think a movie because I don't think a movie about two popes could be interesting, but it was. I haven't seen two popes. Can't really comment on it. I would probably. Uh, yeah, uh, best original screenplay marriage story was fake, which is too bad because there's probably a story there. I think Bombach is writing about himself, but it's just it just doesn't ring true. I really loved Knives Out, but it was too light. 1917 was really good, but not but not that complex. Parasite was very interesting in terms of the twists and turns it took, but Quentin Tarantino, but Quentin did a great job and it's fairy tale and that's what it is. It begins with Once Upon a Time after all. So that's a very good and probably a, a, a probably what's going to happen. He uh, he's won that award almost every time he's been nominated, except for Inglori- except for Inglorious Bastards. So it's a very good, likely candidate and be a good win. Best animated feature. This person chose Klaus. I didn't see it. Uh, unfortunately, best, and then they kind of go on. Uh, we won't go through every category here. Best cinematography. They say there was nothing special about the visuals in The Irishman or The Joker. The lighthouse looked really great in black and white, but I was torn between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and 1917. One place I'll choose 1917 over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The cinematography made that film. And that's very true. I, I'm totally fine. Roger Deakins, can, I hope he wins the Oscar. He, he's, he's put so much great work over the years and he's only won one. And that was just a, um, for Blade Runner 2049. And you know, that was just a career, more of a career, like it's your time award, even though that movie, that movie was visually stunning. And so is 1917. He deserves it. I hope he wins it again. Costume design. She chose not once upon a time in Hollywood, best film editing, Ford V Ferrari, best makeup to Judy, Production design, every once upon a time in Hollywood. I would agree with that. Best original score to 1917. Original song, they abstained. And then we kind of goes on, and then they went to Endgame. I mean, so, yeah, we won't go through everything, but, yeah, it's pretty interesting. If you want to look it up, it's on the Hollywood Reporter's website. Again, it's always cool to hear those uh, those hot takes. <laughs> and that person, this person definitely has a problem with British people and has a, and and uh, some other passionate uh passionate takes and it also just gives you the insight just it's interesting hearing that you know voting for someone because they haven't won the award before or voting for someone not voting for someone because they've already won it's uh just got to remind you again oscars aren't aren't totally judged on on anything um all right before we go we'll go a quick round uh, trip through the box office numbers from last week january 31st to february 2nd again super bowl weekend one of the worst uh, if not the worst box office weekend for the entire calendar, Bad Boys for Life keeping the train going. They're number one, making just over 17 million. 1917 comes in second. It's holding strong. It's made 119 million so far. And if it wins Best Picture next uh, this Sunday, which by the way, yeah, Oscars are this Sunday. Um, if they win, it's going to be one of the highest-grossing Best Pictures. Uh, or since Argo in 2012, which was a long. It's been a while. It's eight eight years. It's crazy. And then uh, Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, flop, still uh, still making some. Made seven and a half million. It was another forty, about a forty percent drop. It's only made fifty-five million, and again, it, Universal spent one hundred and seventy-five million budget-wise just on that movie. Not to mention marketing costs. So, man, tough uh, tough go for Robert Downey Jr. these days. The horror film uh, Gretel and Hansel debuted at number four, making six point one million dollars. 
Then Jumanji stays in the top five. Crazy. That movie came out in mid-December. It's been eight weeks. This is its eighth week on the chart, and it's still in the top five. It made six, just over $6 million. The Gentleman drops to sixth. Um, Star Wars Episode Nine May is in seventh. Eighth was Little Women. Ninth was The Turning. And anyway, the new movie I'm going to review for you this week, which is The Rhythm Section, debuts for Paramount Pictures at number 10 on its opening weekend, making just $2.7 million. I said early in the show it broke a record, and it did. It was the worst opening for a film that opened on over 3,000 screens. I mean, just to give you an idea, Bad Boys for Life, in its third week of release, won with $17 million on 3,700 screens. It averaged $4,700 a screen, where... <laughs> Um, the rhythm section was on less screens, 3,049, according to Box Office Mojo, and had an average of $890 per screen. That is crazy. And just a little backstory on this movie. Everybody was kind of talking, some people were talking about it in the film community just because it's produced by the uh, Michael Wilson and Barbara Bro- Broccoli, which are the producers of the James Bond franchise. So they, everybody kind of thought this was going to be their female version of James Bond, and it's based on an acclaimed, uh, well-beloved series of novels, I guess, written by, um, written, written by Steve, uh, or I'm sorry, Mark Burnell, and Burnell wrote the screenplay for this movie. The movie stars Blake Lively and Jude Law, Sterling K. Brown, and it's directed by Reed. Murano, a, a veteran cinematographer, she also directed some TV. I think it was the series premiere of The Handmaid's Tale. So she's got some creds, but this, I believe, is her first feature. And again, this movie, it's kind of going after trying to be a female James Bond, again, written by the author of the book. The book was called The Rhythm Section. A lot of people have criticized the title. The title sounds, it sounds like kind of a, almost like a whiplash movie, like, uh, kind of, it, you think it's going to be a musical, uh, but it's not. Again, it's it's going on action. It's going on um, the feeling. It, it's kind of a hard movie to describe. I, the movie, the main character played by Blake Lively is. I'll just go into my review. She's um, she's processing. She's it's a few years after members of her family passed away, and she feels guilty for that for a certain reason, and. She's out. She come. She is approached by a man who is a journalist and says that he can prove that the plane that they were on was blown up. Not, it didn't crash. It was blown up by a terrorist. And she. This movie is about her quest for revenge. And um, I didn't like this movie. I will be honest. It's uh, there's a reason it was probably put out in January. It did suffer delays and setbacks for numerous reasons. One of them, uh, Blake Lively, got hurt and would delayed for delayed the project for about four or four or five months and then she was also pregnant so she had to go home and have uh, have her third uh, child uh, with her husband Ryan Ryan Reynolds by the way and um, so yeah so it, so anyway they they decide to uh, I guess it was originally supposed to come out in January or February of 2019 and here it is January of 2020 and they're releasing it and it, I don't know, it, uh, it, it was boring. I, I, I found it hard to latch on to the character. Again, she's, she's going on this quest. I thought they really simplified the idea of being able to just, for one, 
I guess it just doesn't work because at least with these people are producing you they you can tell they treat it like a James Bond, but the thing is James Bond, when we meet him, he's a member of of MI six or um you know, of British intelligence. Where here Blake Lively is just she's just a person. She's just an everyday person. And it's not that a, a person couldn't just change couldn't become an assassin or become an agent but they just kind of treat it like it's super easy. And I guess that's what was a disconnect for me, but um, they just never give us a reason to latch on to her. It's never an interesting, the scenes are never that interesting. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of walk away, unfortunately thinking that maybe Reed Morano had a little more, she just wasn't up to task and you could tell they, they have some, she has some interesting shots kind of, it made me think like that she's a trained cinematographer. She's getting great photographs but they're the story and the state it's almost and really i'll tell you what it is it's the staging the staging of some of the fight scenes they were kind of bland action didn't really work even some of the the camera and the conversations weren't wasn't really that compelling it was just it's just the way it was staged it's not so much what what they were saying or what they were doing it's um it just kind of yeah just nothing nothing really hooked us there was one car chase scene that was really different and it was not uh it, it it's like whoa we've got some life here but other than that it, yeah it just never really it it just never hooked me by it was a, it was a struggle to get through i'll be honest there it's uh yeah it's not one that i i recommend at all um even yeah i wouldn't even say i do not don't go out of your way to see it it's just um um, it's too bad it has you know uh, again i think it'd be great to have a female james bond story and even by the end of the film, um, well, I can't really get, I don't want to give it away for those of you that do want to see it. Cause some of you, some of you still could, but even the end of the film, it just kind of left me like, how are we like, like, where are we going here? Like what, what's going on? So, and I, I can't really give it away, but that's just the, that's the feeling I, I just have. I was like, okay, so now what, like, what, what are, what are we supposed to take away here? And again, it, it's just because of the story that I had watched, it didn't, I didn't believe it and it didn't there was nothing to latch on to because I don't know the way, because the way it was, the way it was put together, the way and the way they got there, it's the execution. So I have to blame that on the filmmakers. So unfortunately, yeah, swing and a miss for me on rhythm section. Maybe you guys will think differently. It's, it's out there. You can catch it, but I think it's going to really have a rough go. It has a week opening like this. And then we got birds of prey coming out this Friday, which I know a lot of people are talking about and a lot of people are interested to see. So we'll be, we'll be here to cover it though. And, um, but yeah, that I know everybody. We are. I have to wrap it up. Um, I probably um, taken up most of your time. So I thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'll be back again in uh, hopefully in the next few days. Continue to talk movie news and movie events again. Oscars. We have Birds of Prey opening on Friday. That's huge. Uh, hopefully, um, I'm gonna go see it on IMAX, and then we have uh, the Academy Awards on Sunday. I'll be back to talk about it probably on Monday or maybe even late Sunday night, get quick reaction out. Um, so I thank you so much, everybody. And if you would hit the subscribe button for in, in the store and leave a review for us. And the only way we get better is hearing from you. So thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully uh, tell, tell your friends, tell your family about it. And I'll be back again very, very soon to continue to talk movies and beyond. Take care for now, everybody. See you in the next episode.